Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Let's go to the Supreme Court of Canada deciding the federal government has the constitutional authority to impose a carbon tax on provinces. What do you think? Yeah, look, it's not shocking, and I don't think anybody should be surprised by it, but there's a couple of things to look at when you see this decision. Number one, the actual decision itself, in terms of the ruling, was six to three, which is not unanimous, Roy, and it actually shows that there were a number of Supreme Court justices who recognized that the the language and the and the legalization behind the carbon tax, even though they understood that it was constitutional, they were troubled by aspects of it. And, you know, obviously people are looking at it saying, well, you know, should the courts really be heavily involved in a matter like this? And does this sort of show a a difference of opinion properly in Canada? Does it show the breakdown people have for the carbon tax? But I think it is interesting to look at it that way. And the other part, which is, I think, more important, yes, the carbon tax is constitutional. And we have to accept that going forward. Even if we dislike the carbon tax, which I do, you have to accept that ruling. But just because something is legal and constitutionally based doesn't mean you should necessarily implement it as a government policy. I've never been in favor of the carbon tax. I mean, it's not a big surprise. I've spoken about it for years. I'm sure you have, and I'm sure, you know, lots of others have too, and I'm sure many of the listeners are troubled by it. Carbon tax, you know, even though they propose that it's revenue neutral, which is highly questionable, even if you use the BC example, it really isn't. It really has been proven to be, or similar types of carbon taxes have proven to be, job killers, they have crippled an economy, they caused a lot of problems, and as well at the gas pumps, you will soon see when it's properly implemented and everything is in place, you will see the price of gas go up, whether it's in Hamilton, where you're based, whether it's in Toronto, where I'm based, or anywhere around the province and the country. We're going to see it as early as next week, yeah, April yeah, 1st, when the next installment kicks in. Yeah, and really, no, this was this was right. really about, Michael, this was really about the, uh, about the uh, provinces having the right to say to the federal government, you don't have the right to impose this on us. These, these conditions are, this, this is our right as a province to make yeah. a decision, but the federal government, or at least the, the Supreme Court of Canada, six to three, wasn't unanimous. Nope. Six to three, he said, yeah, the uh, federal government has the constitutional authority, given the current situation, to make this decision for you. We're going to be speaking with Scott Moe tomorrow and with Aaron O'Toole on this as well. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, no, look, I mean, I I think you've summed it up and I've summed it up. In the end, ultimately, whether you like it or you hate it, it's here. It's something we have to deal with. But the real key for, say, the opposition, including Aaron O'Toole, the leader of the Conservative Party, is aside from, you know, the little bit of nonsense he had to deal with at the Conservative Convention, which has mostly blown over and will continue to blow over as time goes along, He needs to go forward with not just policies on the environment, he needs to come up with a viable alternative to the carbon tax, following some of the mechanisms around it, but proposing something that would be better overall for Canadians and for business and for the free market in general. 
All right. So that's key going forward. Now, let's shift over to the vaccine rollout. Uh, your thoughts, and, and you write for the Washington Times, President Biden now says he wants some 200 million doses of vaccine distributed in the United States after his first 100 days in office. We're struggling along with a minuscule amount of vaccines in Canada, ranked 55th international in population vaccination, according to Doug Ford. Yeah, well, very, very good question. This all goes back, and I'm, I'm as frustrated as they, they come, we're expecting um, some Moderna. We're supposed to get it this week. The third time now is delayed. We're getting it sometime next week. The AstraZeneca uh, that we were supposed to get out into the pharmacies, uh, we don't even we don't even get a date. We don't have a clue. How can you plan uh, when when the feds aren't even giving us a date? If they could give us a date, we'd be able to uh, expand the the pharmacies right across the the province. We're doing. There's going to be a a point next week. That, and actually there is right now that pharmacies have run out. Shoppers Drug Mart, as the general just told me, um, they have 100,000 appointments. Like the feds need to, you know, I've, I've been very diplomatic and I've been very complimentary and collaborative with the federal government, but enough's enough. This is becoming a joke. We need more vaccines, simple as that. And, and we've shown uh, the people of Ontario, we have the capacity, we have the infrastructure. There's uh, 82, 83,000 people vaccinated yesterday. We have hundreds of thousands of people waiting in line. And at the end of the day, they, they've dropped the ball, Major League. And uh, Mayor Watson, you know, he's, he's, he's a great mayor too. He's doing a great job. I ask all the mayors, all the regions, start calling your federal MPs. Mayor, walk down the street to the parliament building, start banging down their door. This is the root cause. We do not have enough vaccines from the federal government, and it's uh, it's a joke. Fifty-fifth in the world. I've, I've done. Sorry. I've, I'm, you know, this is frustrating as anything. So, what do you make of this? No, the, the clip you played, pardon me, from Ontario Premier Doug Ford is accurate. It's completely accurate. It's very frustrating. And even though when Mr. Ford was interviewed, we were 65th in the list, we're now apparently 67th, second, which is something I can't keep up. I cannot keep up where we are. Yeah, no. But wherever we are, Roy, it's lower than we should be. Yes. And that's the real problem. As a country based where we are, even though we're obviously a middle power by nature, we are a democracy and we should be able to have created a system that runs properly. But fascinatingly, very quickly, what has always interested me, and I'm sure it's interested a lot of your listeners, is that the federal government, who really deserves the lion's share of the blame for this, because they were the ones who initially purchased those 398 million doses of vaccines from various companies, and they are the ones who are supposed to distribute it to the provinces so that they can break it down to the various cities, towns, villages, etc. They're the ones who are always pointing fingers of blame at the provincial governments for causing problems. Every provincial government of every political stripe and every government of every stripe will obviously have to look back once COVID-19 is finally under control within a few years' time and look at the pros, the cons, the things we did well, the things we did poorly. But in the end, ultimately, Ottawa and our Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, really should just be looking at himself in the mirror because he really caused most of the problems that we saw from about January till, let's say, late February, early March, where a lot of people got sick. And several people died who didn't need to based on all that lag time that we saw with Pfizer, Moderna, etc. So the vaccine rollout has basically been a mess, literally from the very start. And it continues to be. Yeah, and look, and whether Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, you know, he's obviously euphoric now that things are 
moving along a little bit better. You know, the drugs are coming in a bit faster, although we've just heard that Moderna is going to be delayed for a few days. And AstraZeneca obviously is going to come through the process. All that's fine, but it doesn't dismiss what happened between, as I said, January, February, and part of March. And that's where all the opposition parties, both on the right and the left, have an easy thing that they can use against this federal government whenever the next election is, is called or the writ mm-hmm. is dropped. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now, look, um, a couple of things I wanted to talk to you about today, and I loved your column on The Simpsons, although it's almost heresy to suggest what you're suggesting, uh, and that is that it may be time to do away with Homer and the gang. How do you, I mean, how do you defend this, um, Mr. Tobe? How do you defend yourself? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not that I hate the Simpsons. I, I know, don't. It's I know. just that what I basically said in the column very quickly is that it just passed, as people know, it passed its 700th episode last week. This will this week will be 701. So it's moving along really nicely, and obviously it's the most successful and longest-lasting or longest-running U.S. sitcom, U.S. animated cartoon. It's way behind um, a, a prominent German cartoon, Unser Monsach, which is Little Sandman, which has been running for over 61 years. So it'll never be the longest-running animated series in history, but, I mean, it's had an incredible run. The problem is, very briefly, if you break down the golden years of The, the Simpsons, which were probably from roughly season 1 to 15, and then you look at the last few years, or last few seasons, because they're now at 32, yeah. the quality is just not there, and a lot of TV critics and others recognize it in the sense that the, the, the popular lines, the memorable phrases or catchphrases, you know, are you humming, for example, the song Monorail as you're going walking along? I'm humming Blame Canada. <laughs> or Blame Canada, exactly, which was nominated for an Oscar, if people remember, for an animated... <laughs> yeah, so yeah. when you look at all those different things, um, it's just not the same series it once was. It doesn't mean that it still doesn't have cachet. It still doesn't mean that, obviously, it has a popular base. But even the number of people watching per, per week has dropped from about a high of roughly about 11 to 12 to 13 million around season 14 to 15 to, as of last year, an average of 3.11 million, to be exact, right. tuned into an episode. It's a big drop no matter how you look at it. Popular enough, but not what it used to be. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.